Tackling your business's finance to-dos can be daunting enough without being slowed down by QuickBooks. More like slow books. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one financial system, no matter how big your business grows. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow. All in one place. Special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite right now. That's NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Slow is just right if you're on vacation, a sloth, or describing QuickBooks. More like slow books. It sucks you in and slows you down with manual processes, integration difficulties, and glitchy delays that leave you scrambling for the numbers you need. Now is the time to switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. NetSuite can automate your processes and close your books in no time, no matter how big your business grows. Failing to switch to NetSuite will leave you stuck trying to make sense of your books while your competitors sprint ahead. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. Special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite right now. That's special financing at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Again, that's NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Are you ready for a change? A change is gonna do you good. Hey there, I'm Pavlina Asta. First of all, welcome to my newest project, If God Had a Podcast. I started in radio when I was 11 years old interviewing celebrities, and I am so excited for this new chapter. If God Had a Podcast is all about improving you for a better us. That's my plan. Welcome to another episode of If God Had a Podcast. I'm Pavlina Asta, and today we are with Dr. Sarah Garofalo, who got her PhD in cognitive neuroscience from the Department of Psychology at the University of Bologna in Italy. So she actually joins us from Italy today. Um, I'm here in New York City, so I love how we can, you know, you're like a whole day ahead of us, Sarah. How are you doing? Hi, hi, Pavlina. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really honored to be here. And I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Yes, it's evening here in Italy. I just finished my day work. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on because, you know, you've, you've had a long day. For us, it's like the middle of the day, you know, middle of the afternoon here. Um, so you are a neuroscientist and researcher. So I was so excited to be able to talk to you. Um, when I saw yeah. your TED Talk, uh, on your TED Talk is called The Psychology Behind Irrational Decisions. Um, you give the example yeah. of a game show and how you take, you know, the how you would take a guaranteed bonus on the first round and flip a coin on the second round and the second, you know, round would seem scarier because of a phenomenon called the loss aversion. Um, can you explain that process to me? So, yes, the TED Talk you just mentioned is about irrational thinking and basically deals with how and why we make some irrational decisions sometimes in our daily life. Um, so the effect you mentioned, the loss aversion, is um, one of the most famous examples of this kind of irrational decisions. And basically it means that we are much more afraid of losing something 
rather than gaining something. So basically, when our brain is um, confronted with a situation in which it has to take a very quick answer, it has to give a very quick response, and there is some uncertainty going on, it will take a sort of mental shortcut. And this sometimes can lead to an irrational response, a wrong response. And this is basically what happens when you have um, a possibility of losing something or of gaining something. And you tend to have a riskier behavior trying not to lose anything because that's it's kind of like it has a much more powerful effect on our um, emotions and life in general. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, I I remember when I was watching that and I it was so cute. It had like these little graphics and in the brain of like the little blob, you know, person <laughs> that was characterizing yeah. everything. Um it showed that yeah, like you said there's a in the brain like you're more affected by something that um you're you'd rather not lose something, right? Like you'd rather not lose it, yep, you know, than exactly. to gain it. So is that something that um is affected in all over, across the board, you know, across the board with um, how people make decisions, like whether it's career, family, all of those different things. Do you think that, you know, whether it's in relationships or whether it's a, a career move, people are more afraid to make a certain decision because they're afraid they're going to lose something rather than the possibility that they could gain it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and that's totally the case, I, I can say. Because, I mean, these kind of decisions um, are mainly studied in um, risky situations and economical, for example, applied to economical choices. Right, that makes but sense. Anytime there's money involved, you don't want to lose it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this is the kind of the most common example you can find when you look something about loss aversion or irrational thinking. But that's not the only case. I mean, we are always, I mean, um, in an environment in which we can lose something which is not only about money, but also emotional. Uh, this can be the case, you know, we are lost, uh, we have lost aversion, for example, when we don't want to get rid of our stuff or maybe when we are afraid to um, uh, split up with a partner because we know that we might be uh, experiencing negative feelings. So these are all situations in which loss of loss aversion takes part and, uh, uh, you know, kicks in some irrationality. Right, exactly. And that's interesting um, just because, you know, that's just like the way our brains work. But is there any way that we can kind of rewire our brains to to not do that or to, you know, not be so fearful in, in those kind of things and, you know, take more chances to... Yeah. Yeah, is that like a possibility? Yeah, yeah, you, you touched a good point because one thing which is very important to understand and this is not something wrong. I mean, it's not like there's something wrong with our brain and our cognition. This is like normal brain functioning because most of the time it is very, uh, I mean, helpful and healthy. It can save your life to be being loss uh, adverse because especially if you think about how the brain evolves in, uh, you know, as compared in, uh, you know, in very ancient epochs. 
So um, having to make a quick decision and um, going for the option in which you are less, uh, you have less choices to, to lose, it was very, very advantageous. Um, but today we live in a much more complex environment which doesn't always allow for quick decisions. So how to, um, how to try to avoid that? Well, basically the only thing is to stop, take a break, um, <laughs> deep breath, and then try to understand what's going on. Um, this is the most, uh, I mean, uh, helpful advice I can give because uh, the thing is that one of the most famous psychologists who worked on this, which is called uh, Daniel Kahneman, together with Amos Tversky, they said that we have like two systems in our brain, uh, which, um, you know, fight with each other for taking decisions. One is very fast and one is very slow. So the fast system uh, kicks in immediately when you have to make a choice. And that's the case, that's the situation in which you can uh, make a wrong choice or make an irrational choice. But if you pause, try to analyze the situation and then try to um, have your system to come up, uh, you might be able to recognize, for example, that the only reason why you don't want to get rid of your staff or you don't want to break up um, with your partner is that you are really just uh, trying to avoid pain. Basically. Right. Which makes a lot of sense. Like you're trying to protect yourself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're just trying to like, that's yeah, like exactly. a, it's a totally a protective mechanism. So our society is very <laughs> negative in that way, you know, just by being afraid of, you know, going to the next step or going into that direction. Um, why is it so easy to have those negative thoughts and negative um, ways of thinking, really, even if it is a protection mechanism, why is it so easy to, uh, to get into those ways of thinking and, like, stay in those patterns? Well, yes, mostly because, as you said, this is uh, more protective. It's more safe for, for the brain and for your uh, brain and uh, mind and body to, uh, to try to avoid those kinds of negative situations. So it's totally understandable that for many people, the easiest thing and the safest Thing is to try to avoid those um, negative situations. But in, in doing so, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are actually doing the best thing for you. So also in these cases, it will be good to, to, um, to exercise yourself, to uh, really uh, try to focus on any situation and analyze the real causes behind any choice, anything which is pushing you toward a direction and trying to understand why you are taking that kind of choice and which are the meanings that can be hidden behind. Right. Like I am always trying to, you know, whenever I, I know that I have a bad habit, I always try to like break it, which is so hard to do. Like if I'm just sitting in front of the TV and I'm just, you know, sitting on my Sitting on my couch watching TV. Recently, I've tried to like move to the treadmill and like I'll walk while I'm watching TV. You know, it's just like one of the bad habits that I feel like I have developed. But it also goes with your mind. You know what I mean? Like when you start to think a certain way, you have to, you know, find other ways yeah. of, you know, catch yourself and then and find different ways of um, 
of thinking. And that can be really difficult, you know? It can be a really hard uh, habit to change. You know? Yeah, yeah. Habits are another huge, I mean, um, uh, huge thing in psychology because they have been studied for so many reasons because they are involved in, like, uh, daily life, as you were saying, like just, you know, uh, being, uh, being used to watch television every day or, uh, but, uh, and that, you know, that cannot be always bad. I mean, if it's just a small time to relax and as long as you are not depending on that. Right. Habits are also involved in addiction, for example, and addictive behaviors in general, where we go, you know, on the pathological side of that kind of behavior. So, I mean, addiction starts when you, there is no way you can get rid of that behavior, even if you want to. So this is like the limit, the limit, the boundary between, you know, um, healthy habit and an unhealthy one. No, completely. Um, and mm-hmm. I have a good addiction to TED Talks, apparently, because I was watching another one of your TED oh, Talks. that's a good one. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was watching another one of your TED Talks, and it's called, like, How Do Drugs Affect the Brain? Um, and I thought this yeah. was a really interesting... Yeah. I've always just been really interested in drugs, like, not, you know, trying all of them, but, like, just because they put you in a different state and I, I'm curious as to why people always want that and why they need it and how they become addicted to it. Like the whole process is just like really fascinating to me. Um, so in, in yeah. your Ted talk, you were talking about drugs like crystal meth, cocaine, they both give you this reuptake of dopamine and serotonin and they push, you know, that really into the, into the network, into your brain, boosting your energy, making you feel, um, all kinds of euphoria, but then also suppressing appetite when you get off those drugs, what exactly happens to the brain? Um, since there's a rush of serotonin and dopamine, does that also deplete it, like deplete you of it when the drug wears off? So can it lead to depression? So I have two questions. What, what, does, what does that have due to the brain, like taking those kinds of drugs? And then does it yeah. kind of leave you depressed afterwards? Yeah, so let's say that the, mecha- the main mechanism here uh, involves the brain reward system. Uh, so what happens is that uh, many of these drugs that you mentioned, but not only, even just sugar, um, involves the same kind of processing. So um, it's like it uh, activates the brain reward system, which is basically a bunch of... The, um, cortical brain areas and some cortical brain areas which are working all together in order to give you these uh, feelings of euphoria and, um, uh, and wellness in general. So what happens with this? Uh, if, for example, let's say let's talk about something which is not necessarily addictive. It's taken in a very slow portion, which is like sugar. So you take some a little bit of sugar and the reward system kicks in, giving you all these kind of very uh, positive uh, feelings. But then if you eat a lot of that, uh, um, everything becomes messed up because it's like if the the effects are so strong that the consequences are stuff like loss of control, strong craving, and an increased tolerance to the substance. So this is 
10 times more, 10 times stronger, what happens when you, for example, take one of those drugs? So it's like your reward system is overloaded. And all these processes I was mentioning are, you know, 10 times stronger than that. So there is, for example, um, a dopamine overdrive, which leads to addiction because, um, well, essentially your brain is overwhelmed and it's not able anymore to respond to new stimuli and to respond in an adaptive way to that kind of, uh, that kind of signal. And so, well, this means that, yeah, it can leave you with a depression, as you were saying, and it can leave you with the, with the stronger need of a stronger dose in order to uh, be able to experience that kind of feeling to the same degree, basically. Right. So, like, you have, like, a higher tolerance, so then you, you can take more, yeah, and then that's how you get really addicted. And it's just kind of like a, it's a bad cycle. That's so interesting. So, um, I feel like... I don't know how much you know about, you know, just millennials or uh, Generation Zs in general, but I feel like they have a very addictive personality to their phones, TV, you know, just the, I don't know, certain things like that. Do you, have you noticed any kind of, um, I guess, increase in drug addictions or anything like that to the recent generations? Oh, well, yeah, let's say that the, I mean, the recent generation had to deal with a completely different world as compared with, uh, with the one which was only, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and they are, uh, you know, um, completely embedded in an environment which uh, under many, uh, from many points of view, is designed to make you uh, addicted. That's true, um, yeah. You know, platforms like, uh, you know, um, Facebooks or many video games are um, clearly designed to hook you on that kind of some behaviors, like, you know, checking always for messages or uh, answering friends and uh, liking things, which, you know, they all uh, basically function like hooks. And, um, and basically induce you in an habitual behavior, behavior as we, what we were talking about before. Right. So um, I, I think this is one of the main challenges of the new generation. So to be, um, to be more aware of um, all these mechanisms around them and try to understand how to face them. No, completely. And, you know, actually, I just thought of something. So speaking of social media and that being a, an addiction for a lot mm -hmm. of people, the reason it's so addicting is because you get like instant gratification once you post a photo or, you know, whatever you're whatever you're doing on social media. And um, mm -hmm. but and like it's been it's been, you know, proven that you get like these like little dopamine hits or right or serotonin hits to your Absolutely. brain every single Absolutely time. Correct. Yeah. Every single time you get a like or you get a notification or whatever. So why, I guess like, first of all, how is that possible? Or like why, what makes that possible? Um, just because, you know, someone's messaging us or someone is like, what is it about that? That makes it so special. You know, I, I just like, that's the thing. Like I, completely fall victim to it like I love seeing when my photos get a lot of likes and I love when people dm me like I love all that stuff but I guess my question is like why does that happen and like why is that something that gives us a dopamine hit rather than um you know 
reading a book or something. Chocolate, <laughs> for example, or a drug. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because it's the same as a drug. Yeah, it's crazy. We, yeah. yeah, absolutely, totally. Because, I mean, we have to think that the brain reward system evolved not only, um, I mean, for responding to, you know, chemicals, which can be a drug or something we eat, but the brain reward system, system basically aims to um, let you understand, let your brain and body understand what should be repeated and what should not be repeated. Mm. So anytime you have a pleasant experience, there is this kick of dopamine which tells you, uh, tells you, okay, that's good, repeat that. And then you have another, uh, you know, pleasant experience and that's good, repeat that. Okay, so even we have to think that even um, social experiences are so important and fundamental for human beings. We are basically uh, social animals. And so all these social rewards are um, uh, absolutely activating the same kind of reward uh, brain mechanism. Um, this is the same also when, for example, you hug someone, you get a dopamine uh, release. Right, or, exactly. for example, when you kiss someone, any kind of social activity can activate the same brain system. Right, interesting. Okay, cool. You've got me a lot. You're going to have to come back on the podcast and we can like talk about all of this stuff for, for another 30 minutes, but you're writing a book right now, or do you have, or is the book already out? Yeah, no, it's not out yet. I okay. started uh, writing it very recently, and basically it covers um, the same topic of the TED talk you mentioned, so rational thinking, and but in a more, much more uh, deeper way. Right. Uh, and also, I mean, it touches many of the things we were talking about because I'm trying to make a lot of examples of how this is all related to uh, today's experiences, like it's, how it's related to social media and fake news, for right. example, and all these, you know, blasting information that we are all exposed to. I love that. Um, and I definitely want to copy when you finish the book. But where will people really? be able to... Yes, I definitely... And I'll, we, you'll have to come back on the podcast yeah. when... Uh, that'll be a good time when when the book comes out too. But where will people be able to find the book? Um, or do you have a website? Or like, what's the best place for people to be able to reach you? Okay, okay. I hope the uh, Amazon will love it. But uh, I mean, I'm gonna have to check it. But I'm I'm pretty sure that it will be there. But um, the uh, editorial company it's uh, an Italian one. It's called Il Saggiatore. And um, so the first edition, I'm pretty sure it will be in Italian and soon it will be translated in English and also other languages. So as soon as I will know exactly who will uh, uh, be, um, you know, delivering the English edition or any other language edition, I will let you know. When it finally, you know, comes out in English, I, w- I want to be the first person to get it. Okay. I want to be the first, great, first American. <laughs> I love it. Well, Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. If God had a podcast, I really enjoy talking with you. This has been fun. Me too. Thank you so much again for inviting me. If you've always wanted to try meditation, but think to yourself, when would I have time? You should check out Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through comprehensive, clinically validated research. Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? 
Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation. Need help falling asleep? Use Headspace wind-down sessions. And parents, Headspace has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash c-suite for a free one-month trial. You'll be able to access Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash c-suite today. Thank you so much for listening to If God Had a Podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, share. You can reach me at on all of the socials at Pavlina Asta. And until next time, be a better you for a better us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.